look up the information. That's what I'm doing right now. And by I'm doing, I mean... Welcome to No Clip. I'm Chad Ryman. I'm JJ Artimes. And I'm Andy Kinney. And today we're going to be talking about Ori and the Blind Forest, uh, which is a... Wow, okay. <laughs> a platform adventure Metroidvania video game. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> for the purposes, for, for our purposes, I would say it's a Metroidvania game. Like, pretty much to a T. It just has a hell of a lot more platforming than most of them do. Yes. Uh, and it was developed by Moon Studios and published by Microsoft Studios um, in 2015. Uh, March 11th. Now I'm done with that Wikipedia page. <laughs> so, uh... Is that you ordering up the podcast? <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, one podcast, please. So, uh, JJ, you've played this game prior to this. Four times, I think. Four times? Four times. I played it twice for the cast. I wanted to play it on hard. Okay. And you've also played it, um... Normal and the definitive edition. Right. When the definitive edition came out, I remember being like, oh, maybe I should get that. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to buy this game again when I haven't played it the first time yet. <laughs> so, uh, Annie and I played the regular edition. Are, are you able to like offer any insight as to what is actually different between the two? Uh, slightly different secret placements, more secrets, and two new zones that add two new uh, abilities. Uh, one is just a thing that lets you... Essentially like a, a sideways dash in the ground or later in the air through an upgrade tree that just lets you move really fast. And uh, also the ability to get like a little light grenade that you can like throw at any time, anywhere, up in the air and you can bash off it. Bashing is the name of the uh, the time stoppy thing. Right. It's a weird name for that ability, but... Mm-hmm. It makes sense to me, so I'm cool to go with that. Cool. That seems, uh, that in particular... Seems like really game changing. Yes, uh, and it's really game changing for people who are crazy, crazy good at the game. I have to imagine it doesn't really okay. feel like it. Ha- you have to be that good to utilize being able to basically fly anywhere for free. <laughs> it costs energy to throw the grenade. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Okay. I'm gonna say that sounds like it would make the game way too easy. Yeah, you just sort of like oh, I need to get over there. <laughs> as you coast through the air effortlessly. Um, that being said, in that same vein, one of the first things that I actually wrote down is that it's they did a good job, or at least my initial impression was that they did a really good job at making it so that the fact that you have a, a basically a wall climb really early in the game not completely broken. Like, the, the design of these levels is so like sprawling that uh, it doesn't break things that you can just like scale walls without effort that's i think the fact that they gave you the ability to just infinitely jump on walls immediately really set the tone for this game hard for me because it opened up to what i think is this game's like core engagement and iteration on the metroidvania style which is just ludicrous freedom of motion just all the time you every time you think you're done uh, with getting abilities to let you do like impossible things in terms of flying over the screen, they always give you something more. And by the end of the game, you can you can c- close to fly. You can essentially fly. Right. And most of the last dungeon is all about you realizing that you can fly and trying to deal with that by combining all these different little mechanics. So right. yes, I'm also a huge fan of the wall climb being the first thing that you that they give you, and then showing like no, we'll step up our game 
over on our end keep these levels interesting despite giving you abilities that would completely shatter lesser designed levels man i don't know where to start uh dumping all over your opinion (laughs) (laughs) uh i feel like there's something somewhere else we're we're just gonna go into like the the metroidvania and platforming like mechanical aspects of this game right now Mm -hmm. so uh, the the first thing is Without discussing its, like, tonal implications, because that deserves quite a lot of, of, of time dedicated to it later, you start the game playing as uh, Tubbo. I don't know what his name is. Uh, <laughs> her, I think? Her name. I just called her Mom. She was just Mom. She was the Disney Mom character. Sure. Uh, at, who cannot jump at all, really. <laughs> uh, and then you get this, like, the whole opening plays out with, like, intermittent scenes of you being able to control characters and you not being able to control characters. Uh, but then never at any point during that are you even a little bit preparing yourself for when it actually drops you into the game and you're just like, and like a rocket fly across the screen at a million miles an hour. So, uh, yeah, Ori is himself, his self movement is like just incredibly satisfying and fast and is like the thing that makes this game fun to play pretty much yeah. entirely full stop you you yeah. are here because of the abilities and the way that Ori moves right but <laughs> i find that his like ridiculous speed and floatiness makes it incredibly difficult for to, to land some of the, like, really precise jumps that this game wants you to make. And not even, like, like a Meat Boy thing where when you miss the jump, you die and start over. Like, really irritating things. Like, I just need to be on top of this platform, and you jump over the top of it and over to the other side over and over and over again. You see, that's a great example, and I'm glad that you brought it up initially, because that is the one platformer vestige that this game has that I think is the stuff that annoys me constantly in other platformers, and it annoys me equally as much here. Right. But it's the one thing that I point out is like the pin precision motion that you need to do, is that for some reason they made your leap over when you go off the edge just like a little bit too far when you do the float, so you have to jump back and forth on the horizon, yeah. on the vertical platforms. Yeah, I was going to say, it's specifically the vertical platforms. Yeah. Like, there's so, so much... Of just like jumping on them and jumping over, but then like it doesn't stop there because you you never just fall off because you can grab onto the wall. So you end up doing that like four or five times before you fall off every yeah. time. <laughs> Guaranteed. And then like you're like, oh, I finally got to to land on the top of it. And I feel like it would have been so easy to to just give you like a climb up animation like there is in like uh, Smash Brothers. Uh, every other game <laughs> like it just seems weird that that wasn't included so well, that you have to do this bonkers jumping do they back have and that forth. kind of thing in other games like this like mario doesn't have that and Mega metroid Man doesn't does have that. they have metroid it, does they have yeah. it in this game after you get the, the actual hold on to the wall climb yeah the actual yeah. climb but by that point in the game there are almost no more like vertical Sticks. And, like, and then when it does come along, you forget that you can do that, and you just go flying over the top of it. <laughs> you're like, oh, whoops. Uh, yeah, so 
The platform, because, okay, as I was struggling over the course of, like, nine and a half consecutive hours trying to jump on the top of a stick, uh, I, I kept thinking to myself, man, JJ hates platformers. How does he play this game four times? Mm-hmm. Like, how does that how does that work out? Like, Be- why was this game the game that you dedicated yourself to to play? This is the one question uh, that I knew I would have to prepare for in some capacity, uh, and that's because other than the stick thing that we both noticed, <laughs> uh, from my perspective, this game was entirely free of that kind of like minuscule precision bullshit that you have to do in so many other platformers. Because this game gives you tons of ways to correct your errors, in part because of the floatiness and how many, the initial double jump and then triple jump that you later get for stuff. And how so many of your abilities just give you like a second to think after you activate them. Like the fact that you can just continue hopping along the wall in place and eventually just grab onto the wall forever with no trouble. Uh, The fact uh, that the bash gives you like a full one second time stop to consider the direction that you're going and all the things that you're going off of. Like most of the time, every platform that you're trying to land on, with the notable exception of the top of the damn sticks, uh, <laughs> is just a, a like a medium to large sized surface with some kind of obstacle around it. Like picking your angle is always more important in Ori than picking where you're trying to go. And that's because, like I said before, this game is focused on controlling Ori the character's motion and not really on trying to reach specific points in an area, if that makes sense. Like, I I don't think it does, and I want to stop you before you move on any further. I was going to. Because I disagree with that as a concept pretty much entirely. I, I think that... As a platformer, even if, like, the idea, the difference between picking your angle and picking where you're going should not, in a game with solid platforming mechanics, be a different decision. Like, it it is effectively the same uh, getting from point A to point B, no matter how you want to look at it. I do agree that the, the game does give you time to think. Uh, but that'll come into a bigger point that I have later where this game is designed to irritate people like me. So it's a that's a separate point, but I agree with you on it at least. Then keeping it in, in, in the small local discussion then, I agree that in most platformers, where you want to go and the angle at which you try and reach that should be the same decision. Uh, but, and I'm not a platformer expert here, uh, it's... Never that way in other games, and that's the thing that I find annoying. Like when I'm playing Mario Sunshine or Vanilla Mario, and I don't have a lot of a, a, a an ability to stop my downward momentum after I'm in the air, I just keep missing the angles over and over again, even though my intent never changes. Like what annoys me about Mario is the fact that I know I want to be over there, and I keep trying to hop off this platform to get to that one, and I miss every time, and I. Like, everything that controls whether or not I hit that platform is based on what I do before I leave my platform. And Ori is floaty enough and has enough mid-air control and mechanics that that's never the case. Even after you take damage, they give you enough invulnerability frames that you can just jump off of the things that damages you, which lets you always reorient yourself when you mess up, if you have... Orient yourself? Yes, Andy, orient yourself. (laughs) Which like have you played any of the two D Mario's? Oh yeah, of course. I say because 
Mario actually has a fair bit of midair control. Like after you you jump. I know, and it's all in direction. That's why I specified that it's all about stopping forward momentum. Things like the way that Bash freezes right. you in the air, that the feather lets you float, and that the double jump gets you go up again and stops like the incredible fast fall rate that you can get in this game. Right. Yeah, you do fall pretty goddamn fast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the... I don't know. I mean, to some extent, like I understand what you're saying. There are lots of platformers that follow this same, like... For lack of a better, I think it's, it's the right term. That follow the same physics system, like where you are a really light object, and so you sort of like you feel like when you jump. This is this goes down a lot to like the game feel, like how they actually program the thing to 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 act and how it looks. Actually, feels really good that Ori is so light because he looks like he should be. Mm-hmm. And, like, all the different effects, like, everything's animated well enough that uh, there's not enough detail on screen to really nitpick. Uh, so it, it feels really natural, all the things that he's doing. But that floatiness, I think, gets in the way of some of the, uh, the, the more precise jumps that this game actually wants you to be able to make. And even if you're not landing on top of a stick, or you're just going, like, through uh, an area that has like multiple hangs and you have to like jump through them or something hangs overhangs like so like okay so what i'm thinking of specifically right now is an area in the uh in the last dungeon where there's like a uh a lava spike here and a dash thing over here and so you have to jump underneath of it jump when you like do the double uh. jump and you hit the bottom of it and then dash up mm, okay so Thinking about something like that, when you're as floaty as Ori is, it's sort of like, like, I think I tried that jump like three or four times, not out of not knowing where I was supposed to go, but just because I would jump, fall real fast, do a jump, the dash wouldn't register because I like hit the button too early, and then I would just fall to my death. And I think that a lot of the things in the game that even though, yeah, if I hadn't landed that bash, it would have slowed time down and I could have figured out where I was supposed to be going just because I was, like, off by a few, however, micro-pixels, <laughs> it was probably way further than that, I would just fall and die. You can just hold Bash down. There's no ti- there's no timing requirement for Bash. The only, this is an important separation, because this is one of the things that I tested between my playthroughs, because I had the Steam controller now, this time when I'm going through the game. So, one of the decisions that they made, and they, they mapped their buttons subtly intelligently with like standard controllers and stuff is that they made jump and bash both simultaneously a face button uh and the first time i played through the game i did it like that so you have this sense of tension and difficulty and execution and all of it comes from having to both jump with and press the bash with the same thumb you have to move between them and make it an active choice with the Steam controller, I ended up mapping Bash to the little handle paddle thing that uh. it's got under there. Uh, I also, while we're talking about mapping, switched the attack button to and what the grip button is. So I, another decision they made because they wanted to make they made, wanted to make attacking easy, but they wanted to make it a choice between jumping, bashing, and attacking. But if you change the controller setup like I did on hard, you can keep and do all of those things all at the same time. Okay. And it becomes kind of crazy. But the, but back to the initial point is that there's 
no timing requirement for bash. It's just a status that you get in. You can just fall while holding down the button, and it'll just enter bash mode. Well, while I've never even tried that, uh, my point was not as much that uh, the bash was difficult to, to like lock on. It was that... I was missing things because of how floaty Ori is. Like, I never approached the proximity of the thing to Bash because I fell way too fast. And when I attempted to correct with a double jump, he, like, went way off to the left or something because the jump has really harsh angles. I think a lot of that problem comes from the fact that you've played a lot of other platformers because... I had problems like that early on, and I adjusted to it pretty well as it went, where it seemed like you didn't really. No. Uh, but, like, <laughs> having that much, like, looseness to, like, you, like, overthink everything. Because, like, in most platformers, it's like, this is how it goes, this is how far you can jump, right. these are the rules, and you adjust to those pretty quickly. And in this game... You're going used to that, and this lets you, like, oh, no, but you still got more time. Oh, now I'm going to try and fix it. Oh, God, oh, now, I'm, now I'm doing this. Oh, oh fuck, now I'm, I'm, I fell. Uh, now I'm you know, like, you, I feel like you're just not used to that, like, level of decision-making, so it, it takes a while to adjust to it. Yeah. This is why I really wanted uh, to try and get steam link and the steam streaming service to both work at the same time on our services because i wanted to watch you guys play this game because i knew that'd be super important uh because i am a guy who just likes ori and almost no other platformer that i've ever played right uh and you guys are you know actual humans who play video games and like platformers uh so i i really wanted to know what the point of comparison was for this uh but my, see my biggest complaint with this game uh, is something that I find difficult to levy as a, as a legitimate criticism. Uh, because while I found the platforming a little floaty and difficult to, to nail, uh, I think, honestly, a lot of the difficulty in what you're talking about, Andy, like me overthinking things and not uh, being able to play it the way that I would play like a Meat Boy, is is because it's a Metroidvania. Because it isn't a, like a, a prescribed track that I'm going down, where in a platformer I, I rely almost entirely on like reflexes and intuition to know where I'm going. I'm the kind of person who always holds the run button when I'm playing Mario. Mm -hmm. In Ori, you can't always be moving forward. Like if you just constantly run forward and attempt to jump over everything, you're just going to die a lot. And you have to make those decisions about the save points, which unbelievably we haven't talked about it yet that is like <laughs> the thing about this game that was like a cool new thing that they did but because of those that kind of a thing you have to make these decisions and choose where to go and actually check the map and find things mm -hmm. and that i think is what kept me from being able to do the platforming as well as my biggest issue which is that i cannot see anything in this game <laughs> what do you mean by see what do you mean like the difference between stuff that is important and stuff that is unimportant was completely like it blended together i couldn't tell the difference between spikes that hurt you and spikes that killed you in one hit background elements and things that would hurt you like certain enemy types i couldn't tell the difference between it all i would be ambushed all the time i couldn't jump to a lot of platforms that i thought were there or and were not 
or I would jump for something that wasn't there and hit it and fall. Like, I had a hell of a time just trying to decipher what I was seeing on screen. And this is what I was talking about where I say that this game is designed to irritate people like me, is one, it completely says fuck you if you have any kind of, like, vision impairment at all. And it Because <laughs> the camera is way too far back and everything is way too, like, consistently drawn and animated. Yeah. And then also it hates you if you're impatient. Yep, that, that makes a ton of sense. Uh... If you're good, you can be impatient, but you can kind of say that about any game. Uh, you have to know the route. If you know the route, you can be impatient. If you don't know the route, you're always just jumping into a death trap. Yeah. That's I a guess, good point. And to go off of what Chad was saying, as somebody with normal vision, I also kind of found it hard sometimes to notice spikes, yeah. specifically. I, I found myself just running into them a fair amount and being like... <laughs> <laughs> Like, and again. I, it could have been a little bit more contrast in the spikes. Yeah, sure. They try, with, especially with the enemies, to do color-coded things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the spikes, they, they, don't, they don't have a universal color code for those. They shift between light yellows to like uh, darker oranges with red tips and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, there are literal blue spikes in the ice zone yeah. that yeah. literally blend into the walls. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's just... It's just I think oh. part of the problem is a lot of the zones have like a monochromatic color scheme where it's just like all different shades of one color. Mm-hmm. So that that's always really hard to get the values right. At least I have more faith in my eyes now. I never <laughs> thought of myself as a, as a, as a well-eyed individual. Yeah. Notably, I played the first, uh, almost exactly the first half, a little bit over, up till I got the second stone mm-hmm. on a television from a couch and could not, like, that That was the worst. I played it the second half of the game last night on uh, my computer screen where I'm sitting right up against it. Yep. And it made it a lot easier, but there were still, like, tons of, of issues with just not knowing where something was in front of me. Uh, it, it, it's like, it baffles me that it was, like, that difficult. Like, the contrast between, like, background elements and regular things was yeah. just too great. A point of comparison I wanted to make um, was between this and games that Ubisoft makes with the UbiArt engine. Mm-hmm. It's like, this game is it's great as the art is. Like, it's beautiful. It lacks that, like, tr- little, that AAA level of polish where, like, the platforms really pop off the background. Like, that, that QA, like, testing to really make sure that those things contrast enough yeah because things like rayman and like child of light or other games that i've played i'd compare to this visually and i don't remember having problems like that in those games even in uh way way back when we talked about trine uh 40 episodes ago (laughs) that's also a smaller studio and it's got similar issues yeah it has uh, but even then it made it difficult to to pick out things from the background but not really important platforms like uh, yeah. <laughs> or one hit or why is there a difference between one hit kill spikes and and spikes that just do one damage to you why is that a difference for gating purposes they they wanted to create zones where you couldn't do the thing that i described earlier where you use this you use damage as a reorientation point that's not what i mean though i mean why is it not like spikes that damage you and then like 
a different, totally separate signal thing that kills you in one Thinking hit. about it now, I feel like instant death spikes are the skinnier, pointier ones, and ones that just do damage are like fatter, wider spikes. The, the, uh, the, the one damage spikes but sort I feel of like look it, like sea anemones with like... They look, they look like a sea creature. Now there's a round base, and they're like they're the, the light yellow ones with all the little spines on them and the holes. And the instant death spikes are much knifier, uh, orange and red tipped ones. Right, You're just describing two forms of fuzzy walls to me, basically. I know. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't even like think about that while I was actually playing it, though. Neither did I. That makes me all of this, all of these distinguishing things make me very sad because, of course, I all four times I played this game, I played it on not a monitor. But a television screen, mm-hmm. like a, a like a thirty whatever inch television screen, just sitting in front of me while I have the controller and going through it. So of course I never have the issues, but they're completely reasonable <laughs> things that like I couldn't imagine trying to play this game from a couch. It never even occurred to yeah. me, or is so small. Yeah, yeah. Like even I like moved the chair in the living room like up to the TV to play. Yeah, yeah. yeah or he's so tiny. It's really hard like, to, to yeah, tell. Yeah, you definitely going. want to be close to the screen. Yeah, I mean, this is why the the Ginso tree took me, you know, forty five attempts or however many attempts it was. <laughs> you where... couldn't distinguish things in the, in the in the Ginso tree. Well, it was just well, okay. My main issue with the tree and all subsequent chase sequences. Uh, by the way, I turned the game to easy uh, okay. during the chase sequences because it gives you a checkpoint. Yeah. Uh, that was fucking helpful. Uh, I wish that that was signaled as well what the differences were between the difficulty levels. Um, but in in the chase sequences, I hate that everything is trial and error. Like, there's very little where you could just be like, oh, I've intuited that a fucking thing is going to fall from the sky here and just kill me instantly in one hit. Where... In the rest of the game, for the most part, albeit there are way too many gotcha moments in this game, especially for one where you dictate how often you save uh, and it's resource contingent. Yeah. Uh, the, the the chase sequences were just like, all right, cleared an area, moving on to the next one, die. Okay, I know what to do, go back, do it again. So ba- like every distinct challenge of the chase sequences were always... Like, each one you died on and then started over. To the point where by the time I finished the Ginsu tree, which was the hardest of all of them, uh, you just, like, had to... (laughs) I was just playing it perfectly up until a point, then dying on the next thing I saw, going all the way back and doing it again. But every room that you had... I'm going to use the Ginsu tree as the specific example because that's the one that I've done enough times that I just kind of know the layout. Mm -hmm. They... Hidden information... Is there even a single hidden information point the entire time you scale the Jinso tree? What do you mean a hidden information point? Like, because I know what you're talking about when, like, gotcha moments. Like, things where, uh, for example, when you're trying to escape the second temple... The wind tunnel? Yeah, where, like, you'll go to a, you'll go up and then a rock will start to fall and crack and you've got to react to that. Right. But I don't... But every room that I'm remembering in the Jinso tree are all just distinct challenges that you have to do really fast, uh, considering your limitations. I think... Because I, I don't mind the the kind of trial and error thing um, as much as Chad does, but I think the problem with it, and I think this is my biggest problem with this game, and it's something we talked about uh, already, me and Chad, but uh, it's some of the 
uh, the bashing or like some of the platforming is reliant on enemy AI because mm-hmm. it's like the enemies will shoot projectiles and you have to use those to get up and those don't always get shot where you need them to be and that just seems like bad game design in what area because they're scripted enough that you they always have the timings down uh, for them I don't I don't know if I have any specific examples, but, like, those, like, little... A good example that I remember from yesterday was when you were in the, uh... It was in the final dungeon, and there's the area with the platforms that get shot and broken. Yes. Um, (laughs) going up the left wall for the first time, there's just, like, one of the laser guys... And then a stupid, like, spitty slime. Mm-hmm. And so you have to hit the first bash off of the uh, the dude, the, the laser, laser dude. Guy. And then either jump up onto the wall, if the platform's still there, or the other guy, or wait for him to shoot a thing and then jump from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he passed, like, a trigger... Like, I think he just did it too fast. That just made the guy shoot immediately, and it just broke the platform on the wall. He hits the wall, bounces off of it, falls into the guy, the laser guy, and just explodes. Like, the the fact that you have to rely on an enemy making an attack, so putting yourself in the proper position while in midair after doing seven previous ones <laughs> makes it really difficult to control that kind of thing. And also, I think there's, like, invisible triggers, especially, like, specific ones in those levels. And the floatiness of Ori can make you hit one at, like, a weird angle or kind of, like, jump over one and the enemy just won't attack and then you'll just plummet to your death. Yeah, without any Like, stuff, saving. like, little things like that, they don't happen, like, every time. It's probably, like... 20% of the time max. Right. Things like that will happen, but like it results in those sequences taking way more tries than they would otherwise. So that's the utility of the floaty mechanic is that is that if you mess up in a sequence like that, like if the enemy breaks the wall, you can just react and just hang in the sky for no with no consequence until you get shot again. You can't hang in the... You can't hang on nothing. There has to be something there no. for you to hang Gross on. Gross feather. You can just literally slowly parachute down. Well, that's a slow fall. That's a different That's a different. It's slow thing. enough that you can get shot at again, which is all that you need to recover always. in this game. Yeah. It, it's not like a 100% fix, though. I've, I've never died to the sequence that you're talking about with the breakable platforms. Oh, I mean, that was an example. It happens constantly in this game. Whether or not it results in a death, it results in more waiting, which is, like, a huge problem that I have (laughs) with this game. You have to wait for everything. You gotta wait for the fucking enemy's bombs to explode. You gotta wait for a platform to, like, take its slow-ass global timer (laughs) all the way to the other side of the ice area... And come back, cross the four little other jumps, and then if you miss it on the second one, you gotta wait for it all to go through again. You gotta wait on fucking oh the gun. Ga- oh Jesus, this is the worst. <laughs> Andy thought this was hysterical because during the part where you're chasing the Gumo, is yeah. that their name? Yeah. The if you, I would like finish a platforming thing, save move two steps forward and it would trigger a cutscene where he like opens a door and then runs through. Mm-hmm. And then every time that I died, 
I would have to watch that again and again and again, that, like, three-second cutscene. Yeah. And I was just fucking losing my mind. <laughs> just say it under the cutscene. That, that uses additional energy. So And what? that's early that, enough yeah, in the that game really that that's, like... The game. Yeah, the, I had, like, two or whatever energy things. I'm not, the, the, the fact that they tie the save to resources makes me want to not use one immediately after I just used one. No, no, it's fair, but if you're going insane, I right. feel like maybe you well, can take a step back. Except I had the confidence that I would be able to beat it every single time because I'm the greatest video game <laughs> player of all time. <laughs> and the, the fact that I kept dying, it was like insulting me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it would play the cutscene again. Mm-hmm. You had to. You had to be the optimal guy, right? Mm-hmm. But I wasn't. I was just bad. <laughs> you at were it. just a guy. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Chad. I didn't consider that the reason that I love this platformer is because it's the platformer uh, that lets you wait. Yeah, it's really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Like, because so many things are making sense now in the contrast. If you compare this to, like, a 3D Mario game, you're always on, like, a flat and level plane, which from the perspective of someone who always wants to be moving forward is great, because that means there's a far lower number of things that, like, straight up stop your progress, unless it's, like, a Mario-style gauntlet level. I don't really know the names for those, like, things like the Bowser levels in Super Mario 64, where they're all, like, sort of platforms floating in space, things oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as it's not one of those, you can kind of go anywhere and not get screwed over as long as you're not trying to like attack a specific challenge. All the different primary colors are different, so everything's clear as day all the time. But like I came to this game thinking like, "Oh god, finally a platformer that lets that gives me the time to iterate on its specific challenges and correct my mistakes in the air." Oh, finally, a platformer with some form of tension that makes me actually care about, like, the challenges that I'm trying to iterate on instead of just sort of annoyingly doggy paddle my way out of whatever water that I'd fallen into in the, in the most recent Super Mario Sunshine Challenge and get up and walk around and go back. Now there's, like, a tidal wave coming up from below me and I've got to be like, oh, God, what do I do? In, like, three seconds because if you don't, you die. And just like Meat Boy, you just immediately pop back into existence. Now you don't have to do the stupid little doggy paddle thing after you mess up. See, okay, this actually, the fact that you bring up Mario and the fact that this is the thing is really what, like, this is not something that I would have considered a human being capable of enjoying Mm -hmm. when I wrote this down, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because the first note that I made when playing this game is, I cannot think of another game that would benefit more from having a Super Mario-style jump-on-enemies-to-kill-them mechanic, because... The thing that was irritating me the most as I was going through the game was that every ounce of fun that I was having came purely from the movement and the platforming and the thing and everything else felt tedious. That's just bash. What you're describing is bash. Well, the what? greatest mechanic in any platformer <laughs> of all time, bash. If I use the bash, which is fine. I mean, yeah, once I got... You still like have I to said, play a the third first. of the game before you get that, though. Right. This is, like, the first note that I took. Bash does allow you to keep your momentum. Like, you can just jump through a guy and keep moving. Yeah. Because in the early game, and, like, the, the focus of the game shifts heavily after the first third of it. Absolutely. Um, I kept feeling, like, why is everything just slowing me down? Like, everything that's fun is, like, jumping, oh, jump off this wall, jump over here, fucking do a cool flip, Mm -hmm. and then 
I would like it'd be like there's just a guy who shoots slow moving projectiles that sit on the ground and then explode like eight thousand years later. <laughs> And you'd sit there, and you you stop, and you look at him, and then you press the X button three times, then you back up a little bit, then you wait for the thing to explode, then you walk up, then you press X three times, and then you go have fun again. Like, it was just huge roadblocks for having fun. Yeah, like, the early game combat is awful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, I, I feel like what they're going for is they want to make you feel, like, weak and kind of timid at the beginning so that you can, like, the growing stronger, like, Metroid-style progression sure has more, like... Oomph behind it. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Oomph. But I, I think it really, like, cripples the beginning of the game. Like, I could see a lot of people picking this up and then just kind of being like, uh... Yeah. This game, uh, it, it, at least in my opinion anyway, has absolutely no need of an attack button. Uh, I would agree. It, I yeah. think the game should have started with Bash as like the central thing that it was trying to iterate on, and it would have not having an attack would have really hammered home for, uh, further the fact that you're supposed to be this like little weak little sprite, mm-hmm. like no, or if like jumping on enemies' heads will like stun them or something. Yeah, sure. You give a way to interact, never a way to beat anything. Make because the first, after you get through that first third of the game and like Bash becomes a part of your arsenal, you that you get, the whole shift. The purpose of the Jinso Tree's design is to try and teach you that after you have Bash, enemies are literally just a utility for you now. Like, the only thing that actually that you actually have to care about and stop to deal with are those stupid little wall slugs. Because they're the only thing that has any attack that is uninteractable straight away after they're done. Right. After that point, where the enemies are, the projectiles they fire, they're all things that you can control. They're variables in solving the puzzles. And you can solve some of the puzzles different ways using those abilities. Uh, I remember the one, I, th- I forget which playthrough this was, but uh, you remember at the end of the Jinso tree when you get to the top, but before when the water happens, where you have to clear both sides of the room? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The left side of the room, you're supposed to do another one of those little, like, fling the bullet around puzzles, yeah, you just essentially. Wait, That's you do that on the right side. side. Sure. Uh, you dumbass. <laughs> But uh, there's a wall that you need to throw a bullet out to make it explode. Yeah. Uh, and in that room is a frog. And what the game expects you to do is to use a spider in that room to redirect all of the all of its little orb pellets until you can hit into the appropriate wall. But what you can do instead is literally just use Bash to fling a frog up three stories, and then it will break the wall because it's a frog and shoots the disgusting little frog pellets. Right. Like, it, it's... I loved that turn, and that was the turn that sold the game for me. And I don't think the game even necessarily ever gets better, in my mind, than the lead-up and actual chase sequence in the Jinso Tree. That's like sort of the peak for that for me. I don't think it ever gets bad after that, but I certainly don't think it gets better. But I agree that in the that they tried to make a compromise, like Andy said, in the early game, to try and make this feel more Metroidvania-y. They tried to give it the sort of shitty combat system that all Metroidvanias have. Like if you like thinking back to like Fusion and Super Metroid things like that, right. that's not a game that's lauded for its combat system. No, not even close. It's sort of like a uh, you have one button that you press to fire at forty five degree angles. <laughs> like you don't have a lot of real control over the damage the over the ways that you deal damage in these kind of games initially. But it scales up in those games over time with different combat options. And in this game, instead of giving you more combat options, they give you more movement options instead. And I think, and agree with you guys, that they sort of just been like, 
nah. I understand that this is like a key concept to the genre. I understand that it lets us do tiny little things that are a lot like other combat-focused adventure games, but none of that is really enjoyable or fun. Waiting for the little guys to pop out of the ground in those boss fights yeah. are never fun. They're the antithesis of this game and all the things that make it cool. <laughs> uh, they sort of just axe. They should never have given you any kind of any kind of light attack and sort of just made you feel more disempowered in the beginning and more empowered by the end by how much you can just not care about the giant death lasers that are going on around you. Yeah, you really only have to be concerned about the uh, efficiency... The killers, the green frogs. Yeah. <laughs> super fast green frogs. <laughs> the extra fast, accurate, perfect but, uh, assassin frogs. Yeah. For me, um, after the Jinzo tree, like you go to the Misty Woods, and that ended up being one of the harder areas for me, because I think they wanted you to make that connection that like now you just bash through everything. But, like, I just, like, fell back on old habits and was, like, fighting the enemies with the light attack and just right. got, like, totally owned. I'm really glad that the, 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 you brought up the Misty Woods because, I, like, I almost totally forgot about this. The Misty Woods, like, it is actively detrimental to fight things. Yes! Like, the yeah. whole area is just it bash, air, like, everything. Yep. And it, it took a while for that to click with me. It's like... After I finished that, it was like when I was in the groove of the game, mm-hmm. and that that took way too long to get there. Yeah, what was supposed to be, I think, the teaching moment, at least for me, other than the lead-up in Jinso Tree, is that, like, if you ever stopped at all to care about killing the enemies when you're trying to, like, escape through the tower during that sequences, right. you just drown. You, you drown and get murdered. Uh, but, yeah, that's another reason that I wish I could have watched you guys play through this, Lord. Yeah. You would have seen, you would have, there have been probably a lot of moments where you were like, Come on, right there. And like I would have just like uh, <laughs> I yelling. feel like you playing this game and Chad playing this game is like night and day. Yeah. Well in this case it's literal. Like it's, yeah. it's night and day because uh Chad is night and cannot see. Right. Like that's yeah. not really. Also fair. I played it at night because I work night shifts. <laughs> It's. It, I am the embodiment of the moon. Are you admitting on the internet that you played Ori the Blind Forest during your shift? Oh, no. I couldn't do that, actually. Like, it would be difficult for me to arrange that to happen. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I just played it in the middle of the night, because that is when I'm awake. Mm -hmm. So, so, I guess on that... Oh, actually, one other thing that I wanted to... Because I agree with you on everything that you said in that whole spiel just a second ago. Yeah. uh, Except, I actually thought that this game did puzzles really well. I agree. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. You were like, the puzzles are not the fun, engaging part of this game. I was like, well, they're like, kinda. No, no, I didn't mean the puzzles. I meant, I was trying to point out those weird pseudo-boss battles with uh, little slimes that jump into the air. Oh yeah, those are terrible and are not fun. Yeah, they're horrible and they rightfully drop them quickly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not really, there's one in the last... You do it three times. I know you do it three times. There's one in the last dungeon, yeah, right before the final boss. Oh, you're right. It's on the left side yep. after after the entrance. Yep. Yeah, those not even like Not-co. you don't. You should never. One of the most most fun experiences in that was doing the video game thing when I started leveling in this game and going like, oh, I need all the damage. I need to level up the thing that makes my flame better. And then realizing by the end of it that like you're actively shitting on yourself if you actually take the time to attack most things, and then just leveling the blue tier that looked shitty at the beginning instead. Uh, the blue tier looked pretty appealing to me from the beginning. I just leveled up. I leveled up uh, the red tier to the split flame mm-hmm. as fast as possible because I hated those enemies that like 
you know, the slime enemies, the ones that multiply when you kill them. Another great example of yeah. that have just been cut from this. Because after you get the bash, you don't have to care about those things no, anymore. You just go ever. Through. Yeah, you just you, you dash, go away. Alright. So on that note, are we going to want to take a break? Yeah, I need, I need some air. Yeah. Also, uh, I need to make, like, funeral arrangements, potentially, for the vengeance <laughs> that might be coming upon me for making you go uh, through this. We're going to get... The second <laughs> half of this is going to be, conversely... And just don't leave the podcast <laughs> yet. Uh, it's going to be really positive. We're going to talk about great, awesome, cool things. And then, like, I'll throw in some, like, light jabs. Thanks, Andy. Uh, <laughs> uh, the sweet cutoff. <laughs> so, like uh, I was saying before, um, that we were going to come back and talk about things that we liked about this game, I think the uh, best way to start, and probably what reeled a lot of people into this game, is the just the intro. Like, it is not super unique to have, like, a this kind of a, an opening, I guess. But it's weird to see a video game open with, like, an intro comparable to a Pixar movie. Yeah, yeah, I was going to go straight to up with this. Yeah. I just went for the up opening with, like, minimal interaction. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's kind of insane, and, like, it does... Wa- I remember... It's more like a Bambi kind of a thing. <laughs> it, it, well, it, doesn't yeah. quit, it doesn't hit quite as hard as up. No, not true. many things do. Yeah, true. Up is like a, a masterwork of making you like just openly sob in a movie theater. <laughs> Whereas Ori, I mean, while it is sad and it pulls it, it gives you the correct motivation that you need. Uh, it, it like it does a good job of uh, in like almost a multimedia sense because the game doesn't start with you playing as Ori. And none of the promotional materials for this game focus on Ori. They all focus on the uh, the mom character, <laughs> and then they're killed immediately. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It. She's got that like Totoro vibe. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. yeah like seeing art of the game, I thought you played as that character, and mm-hmm. like just glancing at images of it, I didn't even notice Ori. At all, <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. God damn. You know, like I never like if I would have actually like had an interest in this game and actually like took a look at the cover, I would have noticed. But like I only ever browse past it in like Chad's Steam library, right? Which is just that image of yeah the character holding Ori, yeah. but like it's most like the focus of the image is obviously on. Yeah. Mom. Yeah. So. Almost the whole screen is just that, like, momming it up sort of perspective. Exactly. Uh, so, the the intro, I think, is, is extremely effective and not only, as I mentioned before, the mechanical implications of starting as this slow, plotting character where even, like, you could imagine a game that starred that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
like like Captain Toad's I was treasure just trap. Say that. Like the difference between Mario and Captain Toad. Yeah. <laughs> when we'll get a mom's treasure tracker sometime <laughs> in the future. It's like the exact same game, but with that character. You got like the construction, construction hat, man. the backpack on. <laughs> but uh, it's like Monument Valley cross <laughs> Captain Toad cross Ori. Oh man, I would play that. Immediately. I love all those games. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, there's both the mechanical and narrative implications of it, and it, it does a good job even with... Honestly, I'm almost like a little bit upset that this game has like actual text in it. <laughs> like, it seems it, would, it seems like it would be so good just as a... Like, it's totally music and animation and that's all. Mm-hmm. Uh, which themselves are really impressive yeah it's really hard to do that in a game though like so they need a bit more context yeah they really wanted uh for a tone reasons to have the omniscient crazy spirit narrator right the yggdrasil yeah so i don't think they were married to the idea of text they were married to the idea of that character and then realized we can't just give that character a human voice and make it really fit in with the setting which forced them into text. Yeah. Well, I mean, your little I appreciate like, that sprite too. guy that follows you around talks too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, operates in not only looks like, but operates in almost the same way that Navi does. Right. So, the I think the inspiration there was pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Like they needed something like that, just as Samus needs her computer AI. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, though, uh, it did not. Like everything that came after Navi. Uh, it did not interrupt you during gameplay ever. Right. Uh, to such an extent that I often would forget that Sign was a character. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I would be surprised when it would speak again. And it just I literally dehumanized it in between scenes, <laughs> thinking that it was my tool to manipulate to my own ends. There And there, not only that, but like, it didn't even necessarily have to be a character. The fact that you have a companion in this game doesn't really mean much at all. Uh, it could have, because basically when it does speak, it's always at those like shrines mm-hmm. areas, and so uh, honestly, they could have just been like, "That is Ori's weird light ball." Had it since, yeah. since he was a kid. <laughs> it's a good way to get around the silent protagonist thing. Like mm-hmm. when they need something to be said, then it can just say it. And I think they could have not had it at all. But I think that's why they made it speak. In this case, all the things that it were saying was were either lore that uh, really just did not connect, or things that could have been said and were often partially said well through environmental context to where you are. Like every time you hit one of those trees, it gives like little quips about the person that was turned into the tree that was there before when it died. And it would have been way more effective if they just made the subtext of this tree is a dead Ori-like creature a little bit more explicit in the visuals. Mm-hmm. If, if you could look at it, like the first time you encounter a tree, and see like spiritual remnants of the other person perhaps doing the actions that Sign is describing, like climbing on the wall or jumping or doing the move or whatever, that could have both allowed you to in- do what the text is trying to accomplish, engender empathy for the dead thing, uh, but not ever had to make you sit there and read text. I think it would have been a little bit smoother. But yeah, that's, that's a. I think it's a, it's a comparatively minor complaint for me because I did like that they tried that route at all, text or otherwise. Like I like that all your new abilities have this sort of like weird tone of 
you're amassing them from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's about that spiritual wholeness thing. It's a, it's a nice theme. Yeah. I actually don't even take... And this is this should be pretty good coming from me. Mm-hmm. I actually don't take any umbrage with the fact that they have like these expositional sort of dumps that happen every once in a while, mm-hmm. and it's mostly just because they do a good job of setting tone, like really. Because otherwise, with the exception of the fact that there are things trying to kill you, mm-hmm. all the things that are trying to kill you are pretty natural. Uh, until you get to laser balls, but whatever they <laughs> yeah. they can fuck right off. The uh, <laughs> uh, so it almost like or is kind of a happy fantasy land that is just like has a dark shadow over it, yeah. and you could kind of get lost in that upbeat nature of everything. It, up until they tell you, like, by the way, everything's dying. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh right, okay, I should be concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought of this earlier and thought I would just not bring it up for JJ's sake. But then uh, I just made another connection again. But I was thinking the way Ori mood kind of reminded me of Sly. <laughs> Sly Cooper? Yeah, he's got the... And then also I was just thinking, oh yeah, Sly does that too. Like he compiles all the moves of his ancestors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like... Weird. Yeah. yeah. Weird parallels. But Sly Cooper uh, <laughs> does it with the tone of a children's Saturday morning cartoon. Right. And Or in the Blind Forest does it with the tone of a Miyazaki movie. Right. Uh, which, of course, appeals just straight to me. Just drills right into the things that I am, I, I care about and the things that I have biases towards, like, like Saturday morning cartoons. Man, so. as somebody who's watched a lot of cartoons and has never seen a Studio Ghibli film... Uh, <laughs> Never did not make that connection at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ori felt pretty unique to me in terms <laughs> of its uh, <laughs> the way that it's it's been laid out. But yeah, but the the uh, the other thing the intro does um, that I think is I, like I might I don't know if I'm gonna get punched for any of this, but like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the intro makes the the music really so like sells that intro. Like, I think that it does a really good job. Yes. But the kind of, like, movie score-esque soundtrack, I feel like doesn't work as well in moment-to-moment gameplay. Works well, again, during all of the chase sequences. Yes. Where it's, like, extremely, like... <laughs> and you're like, oh, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. Uh, but, like, when you're just kind of, like, hopping around and you just hear, like, some, like, wistful violin notes, you're kind of like, I don't... This is, it doesn't have, like, any sense of urgency to it at all. No, it's supposed to... I it. like... There is one specific track, and I don't remember what area it was tied to, but it really reminded me of, like, a Danny Elfman-like piece, like... I thought it had, like, this really nice, like, somber forest-like sound to it. I thought that track really stood out to me. But I kind of agree. Like, a lot of places, I think it's too... Like, I don't know. It overplays its hand a little. Yeah. It makes the things seem more epic than I think the game needs them to seem to be good. Yeah. And I I agree that I really love the way that that soundtrack works during urgent moments. Mm -hmm. Uh, But outside of that, it's not, at least as far as I can remember, very, like, 
in your face and theatrical, it always sort of sunk into the background for me and just helped establish the tone of whether the area I was in now was a happy place, like right after you restore the water vein in the Jinso tree, right, uh, or a sad, slowly decaying place. Well, I think this is the first time JJ and I have ever felt exactly the same about a soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I and. I, in fact, I mean, I agree for the most part as well. Yeah, but it's, it's definitely just... high quality throughout. Yes. Yeah. The thing about it is, I feel like they were in kind of a, a, a tough position, I guess, because they wanted to, obviously wanted to do, probably Microsoft Studios threw cash at them to uh-huh. do this. Yes. Wanted to do this fully orchestrated soundtrack, which is, like, incredibly rare in games and probably will remain that way as long as games' aesthetic stays generally the way that it is. Um... <laughs> but they couldn't do it just occasionally and then have, like, some, like, synth pop, like, <laughs> weird... Like a Mega Man soundtrack. Yeah, like, during the level, so they have to, like, also have a score under that. And so they run the risk of either running into, like, a this-doesn't-quite-work-this-isn't-Dark-Souls problem where they just don't play music during the interstitial periods, yeah. or they continue with the... Uh, or orchestral soundtrack, which kind of comes off as a little bit like navel gazing and pretentious during some of the areas. This is like a shot in the dark. Uh, like I'm not somebody who's studied film, right? But um, it might be because it's kind of like the levels, like the regular, like just walking around the world parts, are scored like background music in a scene in a film Mm -hmm. and i think we're used to tuning that out fair so like maybe we do it like out of habit just instinctually like instinctually in this game like that's just that's not important yeah like subconsciously and i think that's probably what they want to happen too it's just the moments where you sort of like like all the moments where you have to stop and sort of take stock of where you are Mm -hmm. and you get in this like like, I just sprinted away from, like, a charging weird rhino beetle that exploded when it hit a wall, did 3,000 jumps over bullets, and, like, landed on top of a tree, and, like, the background music is just this, like, slow, just chords being played out at, like, uh, one beat per minute. And you're like, man, what the... Uh, I, like, it, it takes you out of it a little bit. Like, you, your adrenaline's pumping for a second, and then that hits, and you're just like, now I'm confused. <laughs> yeah. I am having a bad physiological reaction to this music. And you can tell that they have control over when they want to shift into that more, like, active video gamey tone to the soundtrack, because uh-huh. some of the levels... Like, choose to make the music really up in your face and apparent and known. I already mentioned right after the Jinso tree so that it Mm -hmm. makes it more obvious that you've saved something when you go through that section. But it's also really strong in the final level of the game, of, like, Mount Horo, however you pronounce that. They, that, like, dun, 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 dun. Done. Yes. Yeah. It's that's like classic video game lava level shit right there. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so they're completely willing to dig into the to the stronger melodies when they feel like it's needed. But most of the time, like you said, I agree. You do this crazy bullshit to get through a horrible <laughs> circumstance, and then at the end of it, you're just like, oh no, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do, and, uh, and honestly, I agree uh, with the the final level having the music being like on point, like act- actually accenting 
the things that it needs to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that the last level is like where this game sort of like hits its full stride yeah. because you are like the fully powered Ori. And it, it has prescribed levels, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. that that you prefer in platformers. Yeah, because in those, I was a lot more able to just sort of, like, look ahead, see what I'm doing, and then just, like, execute. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's also a stronger delineation in those sequences between puzzle and non-puzzle scenarios. Right. Like, there's the pretty sharp difference, but difference between the level... Uh, where a boulder chases you down and you're trying to bash escape away from it over lava and the level uh, where you're like having to move a switch back and forth seven times because you can't understand how to get through these lasers while the platformers block them. Oh, and, uh, so Andy watched me play the first like half of this game and I watched Andy play the second half of this game. Nice. And so I think the exact same thing happened to both of us because you said you didn't have much of an issue getting through the tree after right. having watched me play it for 40 minutes and knowing where everything was. <laughs> yeah. And I had, like, no issue with anything in the last level because I had, I had watched him go through it. Mm. But I did that laser puzzle. I totally nailed that, like, as soon as I saw it. I was like, you gotta pr- pull that lever, jump on when it's coming over, then flip, then oh, jump yeah. back, jump to the thing, go over the other side. I was like... I got you. <laughs> yeah, knowledge. Yeah, the, the the last level just felt good to play for the most part. Yep. Mostly because of the music. Uh, and that, and coming back around to the narrative stuff we talked about now relatively forever ago, RE uh, Mom opening. Uh, this game, compared to a lot of other platformers, uh, actually tries to make you like give a shit about stuff narratively. It's got like a strong shit-giving sense that I really appreciate. Uh because that's often the thing that would, would take me out of so many other games in this genre, where they're trying to be... How was it that you described it, Andy, out of the cast? Like like cheeky or cute or something? I forget the exact word you used. Oh, God, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Not important. But, like, so many of these games try to give an aesthetic that's supposed to, like, wink and nod at you. That like, we know this is a video game. Uh, and Ori, like, actually tries to put forward and take the effort, like, in a in a strong platformer style uh, to make you feel like dramatic shit is happening. And they go even over the line of how dramatic they want you to take it sometimes. Like, even I was thinking, like, okay, I don't actually care about Koru or whoever this bird's <laughs> name is quite as much as the music is suggesting I should. Right. But I'm. it, but it really added motivation. It, it allowed me metaphorically to, like, get in character here as this tiny little sprite that's in a panic, escaping from the murder all around it. Yeah, it kind of does the journey thing, where it takes a very simple premise and just executes it really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Though I think this game, uh, the one of the strengths of Journey, and it wasn't bogged down by, like, all the gameplay mechanics that Ori has, like, literally dozens of them, yeah. uh, is that Journey's take on the simple story is in itself also simple it's just very atmospheric it has a a, a, this like the overworld is itself part of it and ori does that but then they layer on just a few too many layers onto the narrative (laughs) and so there are too many like named characters there are too many uh instances of you talking to people and uh, while i think like i said before it does a great job of setting the tone and overall i respect it i think they did a good job um it does. It's just a little bit too much, and it's a little bit too hard to care about some of the ancillary 
little details. Yeah. Absolutely. They really wanted you to care about Gumo, and <laughs> you cared less about Gumo. I thought it was like, so up until Gumo goes and revives Mom with the, like, the life battery with mm-hmm. the Iron Man uh, arc reactor. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought that it was just like a race of things and that there were just like dozens of them. <laughs> like, I didn't know they it was a ex- named character. They <laughs> explain in the second dungeon that he like he walks into it and like he sees all the dead ones and your little sprite guy is like, oh, he's the last of his kind. I may have missed that line <laughs> oh, of dialogue. I thought I thought you got it then, but thought beforehand in the moon level that, that there every, were a bunch of that them. every Gumo was different, and they were oh. just like <laughs> passing off the energy ball to one another as you go down. Well, not even that. I just didn't think that like the same one that was the one that was like. Do you know playing keep away with the energy ball mm-hmm. was also the one that at the end of the, the game basically saves you. Yeah. So uh, like it, it took me a while for some reason where I was just like fucking whatever about Gumo. Like I agree, it was hard to care about. Him. Yeah, that feels pretty forced. Mm-hmm. The narrative of this game, not the tone. We love the tone. Yeah, but the narrative of this game is just falls into. Most of the classic video games try to be movie traps, where what you do and the mechanics in the game have pretty much nothing to do with the narrative or how it progresses at all. You probably aren't going to relate to this, um, and Andy, you are 100% not going to relate to this, <laughs> mm-hmm. but the the narrative of this game, to me, is like the narrative of a Magic the Gathering set, <laughs> where I'm just like... Uh, yeah, 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 get, move, get out of the way, let me get, let me engage with the mechanics and the art style and the tone of this game, mm-hmm. and ignore everything else. Yes, uh, I, I agree with you, I had the <laughs> same perspective, and a lot of the later cutscenes in the game, I was just thinking, like, are we really are we really cutting away from my awesome jump skills to watch <laughs> like mom try and navigate a burned forest with Gumo and like their fun time adventures? <laughs> like this is not important to anything that's going on. <laughs> now I, I I come closer to agreeing with that as well than you would probably guess. Yeah. Uh, I actually think the narrative kind of shoots itself in the foot. Went with bringing mom back to life. I agree. Actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not even. At the end of the game, is Ori alive or dead? Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to know. Is it? Is it? Or at least to... that was my interpretation. Yeah, because like they pretty unceremoniously like just snap your too, neck and so... throw you on the ground. So <laughs> yeah, I thought that Ori had died, but then I was like, well, would this game let Ori die? Right. Yeah. Like, uh, they wouldn't I... let Mom die. <laughs> no. I lean towards yes, but that's only because. I think the like there are subtle differences in the body shapes of the different little Ori race people. I think the Ori in the end credits cutscene that watches all of the other ones like be brought back to life, like sitting in front of the tree, is your Ori. There's a scene after. Did you see the that at all? I don't remember that. I didn't see that. Maybe this was only in the definitive edition. This is it possible. Yeah, there is a scene. Or did you complete the game? It might be a completionist <laughs> ending. It could be a completionist ending. I did complete open quotes uh, the game. Okay. But yeah, the but anyway. uh, either way, yeah, there's a scene that hilariously still makes it ambiguous because all the races are the same people. Mm. But uh, where you watch, where Ori's just like sitting down in front of the tree and all the little. You know, the little feather, like the white one that birthed him, start like raining down to the ground, and all the little spirits come back to life. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So it sounds like probably alive yeah. then. The regular ending, it just ends with Mom holding Ori, and it seems like it's not clear if Ori is alive or not. Yeah, and then the credits roll, and then after the credits, there's a, a, a fan art contest winner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So more ambiguous. Interesting interesting choice there. Weird. But not, not, not a whole lot really hinges on it, considering how much we don't really care about how things progress. True. It does, it. like, actively prevent the game from having a satisfying conclusion. Yeah. Because if there is, because you're wondering about it, and then you also don't really, it doesn't end with, like, the world blossoming into a new forest or anything. It literally just ends with the egg on fire, <laughs> or his neck snaps. <laughs> And then, like, it's just sadness. And the forest is saved. Yeah. Like, I have expected, like, the, the fairy character to just, like, fly across the screen and be like, by the way, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Credits kick in. <laughs> Maybe this was a completionist thing, because there's another scene that apparently neither of you guys seen and are about to lay down here, which is uh, the mom. You go back to the mom hut, like the mom hole that you leave. Mm. Uh, and in- no. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> the cave. The mom cave. The mom hole that that you leave. Shut up. But yeah, you, you, you can go back to the cave at the start of the game, uh, and in that cave is like a cute little drawing of all the main named characters in the game that have been sketched on a piece of rock, and beside the left of that rock, which is the rock that mom initially died on, is just a new nest where the egg is and it starts hatching. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that does happen. Yeah, we yeah. saw that. <laughs> yeah. just, you just, but in your mind, you were just like, nope, egg burns. Egg burns. <laughs> That's another Sly Cooper parallel. There's an owl villain. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Maybe we need a third half where it's full of yeah. my rage to contemplate <laughs> these comparisons. Yeah, like as just to keep harping on this even more, like. You have no agency over the resolution of this game. Like, you get to the final chase sequence, uh, and then the, the owl chases you anyway and just decides to not kill everything anymore. Mm-hmm. I like to imagine that there's, like, one guy who was, like, already typing up an email that was like, <laughs> Look, you just go to the options menu, you go change the... Ri- oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, mm. but they, like they needed, especially it's not like you couldn't do a satisfying ending for this through a chase sequence. Like you would just need a sequence that's like you run up the tree, like you escape the bird. <laughs> yeah. and you're still trying to escape the bird while reaching the tree. Right. Uh, but I find it weird that they like were like, no, let's not make mechanics anywhere in the narrative or like part of it or something that feels rewarding to you, like you've saved the day. Let's just, for the purposes of this owl character, right. give her <laughs> a redemption arc instead. The owl character who effectively acts as like a thwomp block. <laughs> like, ju- all it does is just kill you occasionally. Instantly. Yeah. If it you does, are too slow. It does feel weirdly unsatisfying that you don't get to make it back to the tree. Yeah. Yep. I mean, honestly, I cared so little about this narrative that, like, shockingly, it never occurred to me just how big the disconnect is between the mechanics and the narrative of this game. Yeah. Like, the only tying factor is the fact that you're getting the uh, your abilities from the prior sprites. Yep. And that's it. 
Everything else is just like sort of hand wavy video game bullshit. Especially like like the veins. Like that has nothing to do with the fact that the like why is what Kuro did have anything to do with there no longer being water and like fire going crazy. Right. Yeah, and like the wind ceasing to exist. Like she didn't touch any of those balls of light, at least not that we've seen on screen. Uh, yeah. I do think though, uh, that Kuro as like a mechanical entity and like as an aesthetically designed thing uh, is terrifying and motivating. I, I liked the screeches. I especially like the intro that repeats every time you die in the final boss escape where it's like starting on the orb of light and then like this terrifying posture oh, yeah. flaps up like mm-hmm. real fast into the air. I agree that that is good. I disagree that I, it was good that it played every time. <laughs> of course. Uh, but other than that, yeah. Yeah, but it did make it a little bit harder to get back to the Nightmare Headstone, unfortunately. Yeah, it was like... It would have been really cool for them to have done, like, a Metroid Fusion thing where you could just run into the owl in the world. Yes. Like, it would just, like, swoop down and land on something. Yeah. And then fly away. I get the impression, kind of unfortunately, that this game could have drawn a little bit more from the Metroid DNA that makes it up. Uh, How so? Just... From, like, a mechanical state, Metroid had a better idea of <clears throat> how to, like, pace combat in the world. And, like, where this game, enemies just kind of, either if they're, like, critical, respawn just, like, whenever. And there are also no, uh, like, the conspicuous load doors in Metroid games. <laughs> There's This is a more contiguous world that doesn't even really do much, like, screen shifting so much. Right. And that prevents them from having a... Uh, like a, a mechanical reason for enemies to respawn, where you'll take damage in this game occasionally just from like you're just running back from a place that you went to. Like you went and go, you put a, a thing in a map stone, and you're like, cool. And then you start turn the other way, and oh, this guy's back, even though he was right there. Yeah, just died, and then you just hit him again. And that kind of a thing. Just like the consistency in a Metroid game, like the almost like strict consistency with which you can predict what's going to happen in a Metroid game just doesn't exist in this. And that's really... That was the one mechanical thing that I felt like this game deviated from that it could have maintained. Yeah, they sort of of gave up the loss of clarity and respawns by making things contiguous. And they do have load screens for reference. I don't know if if it was just my computer chugging at one point, but I did manage to move through an area at one point so fast that it actually stopped my motion while it loaded the next sequence of the map and moved (laughs) it over. I was proud about that. But, uh, yeah. One thing I forgot to mention when we were talking about the aesthetics, they really like whoever was designing this game really likes foreground elements oh god i love them there were too many in like important places where you needed to see yeah there's what i remember you being like why did they put that there like it was in a lava area where there was like a the left wall had spikes on it yeah and there was just like a stick in the way <laughs> And you're like, I don't know if I could jump there, or if I have to, like, do something else. Yeah, there were, like, a handful of places where it was, like, an enemy was just, like, behind some, like, foreground element. <laughs> and, like, that's where it spawns in. It's like, why? Yeah. I- I've never seen a game more 
uh, in love with parallaxing since the Super Nintendo era. Yeah, it's like the uh, standout example is right after the Jinzo tree. If you go to the left, there's like the first stampeding rhino beetle, yeah. at least that I came across. I think he's there's the like a one. big old root. <laughs> like right in front of like where he like his oh, yeah. path. I know this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you can see him, but then you don't know how fast he moves if you haven't seen one yet. So he just like disappears and then you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> like, you don't see. Well, not only that, you don't know when to jump. I thought the solution to the puzzle there was to lead him off the edge, and so I would try and aggro him over to me and then jump over him. Of course, later I found out there's a stomp ability, and that's how you get through that. But I like. Went to lead him over, and, like, his aggro range is a little bit weird. He won't commit to a charge unless mm-hmm. you're closer to him. And, like, and this is, a, this is actually, in retrospect, kind of mean, the way that they programmed that particular guy. Because if you're, if, if you weren't, like, close enough for him to kill you, he won't commit to a charge. So you can't lead him off the edge. But, like, he would just be behind that, that fucking log. And I'd be like, <laughs> please? Just do it. And I just never did. I'm sorry. I mean, it's whatever. I really enjoy uh, piecemeal unlocks of your abilities in a platformer, which is, I know, something that lots of platformers do, uh, but it's always been one specific gripe that I've had with long-running platformers, uh, like Mario and Sonic, uh, that kind of assume a certain degree of series familiarity over in the past. Uh, I, I, my most notable complaint for this being the fact that they never tutorialized the stomp in Super Mario Sunshine ever, so I couldn't beat the first boss because I just thought it was impossible. Yep, I remember that. Yep, that uh, still blows my mind that you'd never heard of a ground pound before. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, it, yeah, even Ori, Ori has a ground pound. Add that to the list from the Sunshine episode. And you unlock it. You unlock yeah, it, and they're like, "Do this true. to do the ground pound." And there's like so many platformers give you everything front loaded. Uh, under the expectation that like you're gonna piecemeal learn and master all of these different bits right. over time of like the one set of mechanics you have at your disposal, uh, but I'm a, I'm a dumb child and I don't want that. <laughs> I want things spoon fed to me, even if it's just one little blip where you just get it and now you're like, oh, I feel better and stronger and I can do this cool new thing now. And here's how you do the thing. Now test the thing on that. I, I It wasn't in this game. It's really easy for those kind of tutorials to be burdensome. I didn't feel like it ever got burdensome in this game when you're learning new abilities. Yeah. Burdensome in the way that a tutorial is burdensome? Absolutely not. Yeah. Burdensome in, man, that bash tutorial expects you to just fucking get it. <laughs> like, I died, like, several times just, like, being like, uh, oh god, left, maybe. <laughs> and the whole, <laughs> when you're going up the tree with the fucking, like, left and right, like, Pac-Man portals, mm-hmm. good lord. They were just like, now that you know bash... You can do anything. And I, like, it was hard to wrap my head around that. Yep. Pretty much everything else, though, was done like spectacularly. Yep. I don't know if I really have strong opinions either way. Like I, I like the way the unlocks are done in this game, but like one of the more satisfying like platformer experiences in recent memory for me was like discovering the spin jump in Mario Sunshine on my own. Yeah. Like I don't know. There's something really satisfying about. Or at least, like, Nintendo is good enough to design the game this way, where you can figure them out organically by yourself. Yes. I don't know if other developers would be able to do that as well, but... 
I mean, even in Metroid games themselves that this game, like, directly parallels, uh, they're, like, hidden mechanics that are just there for, like, the ha-has for the most part. The closest thing I can really come up with in this game is the fact that, like, the triple jump, which isn't hidden, it's just an ability, really fucking changes uh, everything (laughs) entirely. Dude, there's a way better touchstone for this, which is uh, you can always wall jump in Super Metroid yeah. from the very start of the game, and that's what everyone uses to sequence break with it and do all sorts of cool stuff that made that fun to speedrun. Also, in the whole Metroidvania style that this game pulls over, uh, the fact, not just you get piecemeal unlocks, that you get like experience-based unlocks really made me care about the minuscule minor collectibles and pickups that exist in tons of other platformers that I generally just see as so minuscule of benefit after a point that I don't bother with them. Like, I I normally don't collect coins in Mario as long as I haven't taken damage or something. Uh, Because after that point, it just seems like I'm doing it for my ego, if that makes sense. Like, I've never been a high-score guy, so trying to do things that motivate up a score... Oh, there's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> for itself, was never cool. So the fact that they tied lots of these little pickups to a mechanical benefit in the game made mm-hmm. me actually want to search out in 100% the game. It made me want to look through all the corners, and it was a very easy process, and I appreciated it for that reason. Yeah. Though I will mention that in uh, uh, Mario and, like, uh, Donkey Kong Country comes to mind. The coins or bananas are used as like just a, a lot of times as like a signpost where yeah. they're like, "Look, you can jump here." Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. And I think it makes a big difference when they gave Mario health and the coins refill the health. Yeah, as, as a reason to actually go for yeah, them. Yeah, that also made them just sort of were... scatter coins. Haphazardly True, a little bit. But more, I mean, like, but... they also have, like, one of the most satisfying sound effects. Oh, yeah, like, 100%. Coins in Mario, I just pick up without even thinking about it because they're just fun to collect. Right. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of that has to do with the sound design. Yeah. In Ori, I found, like, it was enjoyable to search out secrets. Um, though, I mean, it's the same problem that every Metroidvania has. Uh, even the whole, like, we talked about the scan visor and its nonsense in the Metroid Prime episode, but, like, with our biggest complaint in the Fusion episode, uh, yeah, we talk about Metroid a lot, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you will bomb walls and shit to see whatever is happening, mm-hmm. but then in Fusion they also had those ones that were just, like, if you jump against a wall, sometimes you'll just grab onto it. And roll up into it, and that's where the, the the hidden walls are. The Ori basically just took that idea wholesale. Like they're just like occasionally you're just gonna see nothing, and then you will just go through the wall, and that's where it is. They put they spaced them out well, and they put them in good places, and they do telegraphing with them, yeah. where they'll show you a room, and you'll be like, "Well, how do I get to that room?" And you like go around, you search around it, and you find the hole in the wall, and you go in. Yeah. I found that through some, like, I guess some clever design tricks, I never really analyzed any of the spots, but uh, I was able to tell a lot of the time if I was going to be able to jump up into the wall. Yeah, that was the signposting that I thought, like, I I took note of how, like, sort of over the top uh, they managed to execute on hidden areas compared to even a lot of Metroid games. I never felt like there was ever a secret area 
that I couldn't have hypothetically looking back to it, like looked over the room and pinned it out. Oh, wait, I can only see half of a spike, like one of those ground spikes at this point. It's kind of like weird and in a shadow and half obscured, and you can always go that way. It's This game, and especially early on, I did this too. When you st- they start introducing secret rooms, mm-hmm. you start getting this incentive that like, oh, I've got to check all the walls now. <laughs> uh, but this game never rewards that, and I'm happy about that. Like, you you never will just randomly find something behind like a breakable wall or something. It's always a space that if you can distinguish between background and foreground well enough, uh, you'll like look and zoom in and be like, that's not quite right, and then you'll go there. Uh, I, after the first half, assumed that you may not have even found any of them naturally at all, uh, which makes me more than happy that they did introduce a map system as a different style of hint for those kind of secret areas. Yeah, I never, I don't think I ever thought when I found a secret area that I knew that it was there before. Yep. Like, literally not once. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it was literally them being like, let's take this zone that is close to indistinguishable between the, the foreground and background and the layers to make it immersive. And let's, and let's and make a whole game out of it. Oh, wait, no, sorry. <laughs> and let's put uh, subtle secrets inside uh, of that. Yeah. Thing. I mean, I, I ended the game with, I think, nine health and, like, five energy orbs. Five? Or maybe six. I don't remember. Ooh. It was low. Okay. Uh, but the... I Like, I didn't have an issue, really, because it's not health... That is the preventative thing. It's instant deaths. So, like, having a bunch of health or having not very much health wasn't, like, a, a big difference. But it does feel good to have lots of health still. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but it's, it's less rewarding than finding an energy tank in a Metroid game. Yeah. But whatever. Whatever, indeed. Also, if you do pump up that blue tree, uh, you do, like, the energy doesn't even matter. Because you, it, it costs half a thing to do the burst, and it costs half a thing to save the game, and you get like shit loads of energy out of everything, and so. they all automatically track to you. And yeah, well, I never got, them. I got the regular magnet. I didn't get the the ultra magnet because mm-hmm. I was saving my points for the triple jump. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, a thing. What good things? Do we have final thoughts? I don't know. If I've accented enough yet, uh, how much I think Bash is one of the best mechanics I've in any 2D game I think I've ever played. They've figured out how to do a dodge roll for platformers that actually makes sense in the context of a game where your goal is to keep moving forward, and I love it to death. And it's a weird, unique enough thing that's hard enough to explain thematically that I don't think it's going to be stolen much, and that makes me sad. Uh. <laughs> I do agree that uh, Bash is a pretty fucking cool, all things considered. Yeah. Uh, it gives you a lot more mobility, and I feel like uh, if I were, if I was familiar with this game, like if I went through and played it a second time, I imagine I would have a much better time with it because I know where shit is. And, like, a general idea of what to do, and that would allow Bash to just give me the, like, crazy momentum that I actually really like about this game. Yeah. This is one of the few games uh, that makes it on my list of things I want to watch speedruns for. 100%. There's a bunch of terrible glitches uh, in the menu system that make, like, any percent speedruns of this boring as sin. But uh, 100% speedruns of this is wonderful, because you could just get people just flying around. It's, I mean, this is a platformer 
that has a thematic conceit that makes me actually care about stuff that's going on uh, while still trying to give you the same appeal of motion being fun that falls so flat with me with so many other things. It seems like someone made a platformer for me and that they were like, <laughs> they just went through my backlog and was like, oh, this guy likes and Miyazaki movies, he likes Metroid, uh, he likes kind of things we get to stop and contemplate and think for a little while before you make meaningful decisions. Uh, he likes dodge rolls and dark souls and things <laughs> with lots of tension and they just push all of those themes uh, into a platformer skin. Uh, so, of course, I liked this game. Of course. Uh, as for me, I ended up enjoying the game, but I feel like the first third of it really brought it down for me. Like, this is a game I was like, I gotta play Ori for the podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, until like I got into it. Um, but after I, it did click, I think this is probably mechanically one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Metroidvania I've played. But it kind of lacked like a hook for me. Like, mm -hmm. it looked great, and it had good music, and it controlled well, but, like, it lacked, like, the kind of it factor that I really latch onto, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that, especially having watched you play it. They were just, something about it wasn't uh, pulling you in quite the way that, that I've seen before. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, I love the, the way that you guys talked about this, because it, it kind of puts into relief the things that I didn't like about the game as much, where, like... It's like they looked at things that I like and they've removed all of them uh, from this game. Because this is probably one of my least favorite Metroidvanias that I've played. Uh, and while having like an amazing mechanic set, I feel like it would fit better in a more traditional platformer uh, in order for me to enjoy it. I wholeheartedly think that this is a good game. Like, I, I just, me not liking a thing doesn't mean jack shit for the quality of it. This is just a good game that was not designed for my tastes. Uh, and, yeah, the the music and the art style are enough. Like, if you are just one of those people who just owns this game, but hasn't really gone around to it, like, that should be enough that's probably why you bought it in the first place was because it just looked fucking good and it consistently does through the entire experience and it's like an eight hour game so if you have a vision problem play it real close to the screen because eight hours probably isn't enough to make you go blind uh <laughs> probably probably don't yeah. message us optometrists <laughs> with our complete ignorance that we're spouting you've been warned yeah and on that note Thank you for listening to No Clip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time we're going to be talking about Splatoon 2, a game that I've done just almost enough research to do a podcast on. Almost. Uh, <laughs> We've played it continuously since it was released without stopping. Correct. Almost done enough research. <laughs> uh, until that time, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do so. All of our contact information is on NoClipPodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, pretty much anywhere that will host a cool podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Hear that? All other websites on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck all y'all.
Oh, did they improve the taste of Coca-Cola Zero Sugar? That's what they say. It tastes the same. Tastes almost exactly the same. (laughs) (laughs) This cast brought to you by Pepsi. 